Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Radically Loved Podcast. We're joined by a very special guest. I went down the rabbit hole of all of your work, Julie Bogart. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not a parent yet, but I feel like when that time does come, I'm going to be so incredibly prepared And I am so excited to have this conversation with you because it's one that I feel like needs to happen. You have authored many books. I mean, you really just have an incredible career. And I'm just, it's one of those moments when I went down the rabbit hole and I was like, how did I have I not known about this person? Like (laughs) for all these years, I'm so confused. So it's one of those really pleasant and exciting finds. So thank you so much for for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. I feel similar. I'm so honored that you invited me on your show and we have in common the same publisher. And it is such a privilege to be represented by Tartar Perigee. And I love all their work. And I'm very eager to hear about what it means to be radically loved. I have a hunch that there's a lot of overlap in the way we think about relationships. Yes, I can guarantee that's probably correct. So (laughs) raising critical thinkers. I mean, what better time? (laughs) Tell us what inspired this topic, first of all. Yeah, I love telling that story. So I am a woman of a certain age. I'm 60 years old. So when the internet first opened its doors, I was about halfway through my life, mid-30s. And I have a very clear memory of life before the internet, right? So it's not like a blur. I really remember. And before the internet, I would hang out with friends at a park day or we'd go out for lunch. And it wasn't that we never disagreed, but people were careful. Like you didn't want to ruin your relationship over disagreement. Sometimes there are even kind of implied rules like, well, we won't talk too much about that aspect of politics because we know it might rub us the wrong way. There was a certain like recognition that the relationship was transcended. And then along came the internet and I'm from a homeschooling background. So at the time when my kids were young, I raised them and educated them myself. And homeschoolers before the internet, we were very isolated. There were not that many of us We were so hungry for help and support and input. So I always say when the internet opened its doors, we all just ran through. We were like the first people online. We're homeschoolers. We're like, we're going to figure out technology. Yeah. Because we all expected that we would end up in these chat room spaces and we'd help each other. And let me just say this. The groups I was a part of were pretty homogeneous. We were mostly white, mostly women mostly heterosexual, mostly married, mostly stay-at-home moms, mostly similar religion and politics. So when I say homogeneous, we had a lot in common. And yet 
we would erupt into fights over cloth versus paper diapers, whether or not to give timeouts, whether breastfeeding could ever include a pacifier, right? Like the mommy wars for sure started back then. But then when we would get into religion and politics, it was like a bloodbath. The gloves came off. People would get very angry, very didactic. I can remember literally having like meltdowns, like my whole body trembling. I'd lay awake at night imagining how I could respond to this one question. And the next morning, I'd just be the keyboard warrior, you know, getting it out. And quickly, over the next several years, I tried to grow a community where we could live with the discomfort of different thinking, where we could actually hear each other and learn from each other. It lasted about seven years and ended in a complete fiasco, like everyone just running to their own corners, licking their wounds. And so I would say, starting in the late 90s, early 2000s, I got very interested in thinking, how is it that when we aren't face-to-face in particular and when we're online, do we give ourselves permission to be such hardliners about what we believe reality is, what we think is true, what we think is right. Where does that come from? Why is that different than in person? And why are we willing to sacrifice our relationships yes. over difference of opinion? So that really drove me. And actually, I've written two books for Tarcher, and this is the book I really wanted to write. And initially, they're like, let's start with this other one, warm people <laughs> up to who you are, and then we'll do this one. And of course, it came out during the height of political and social upheaval. So the timing is actually pretty good. Wow. Yeah, it truly is. I'm so excited to, again, have this conversation with you and just learn more. I There's so much nuisance, right, in so many of the different topics that we're encountering today. And I feel that we we, meaning the younger generation, even younger than than I am, I'm, you know, Jen, I am a millennial, I guess. Okay. I'm like, wait, hold on, I'm 30, I'm 38, I'm 38. <laughs> yeah, so you're a millennial for I'm sure. A, I'm a millennial. <laughs> I feel like I learned critical thinking when I was in the sixth grade, right? Okay, tell me that story. So I remember our English teacher talking about, you know, critical thinking and how the difference between I believe that something may be this way, as opposed to this is how things work, right? The difference Mm. between an opinion Mm. and a fact. Mm. And I remember, and I can't remember exactly how it was explained, but it was explained in a way that it stayed with me even to this day, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. I understand that there is a difference between somebody's opinion and something that is factual evidence. Mm. And even in my journey to self-discovery and in my colorful past and going through the tumultuous path of my teenage years of small acts of defiance, Mm -hmm. I found that discernment was a big practice for me, learning to discern. And and it's such a huge pinnacle for any mindfulness practice, any yoga practice, you know, as well, you know, learning about paradox, learning about opposites, et cetera, that requires discernment, which I believe requires critical thinking. Yes. But this is a skill, right? So what happened? (laughs) What has happened 
What has happened? What has been your findings in the last decade? Where are we with this sort of skill that we, I think, need and is going to be the thing that saves us from whatever is to come? So the thing about critical thinking is most people think they are critical thinkers because we all feel very convinced of our own thoughts, our experiences, our identity, our education, our background information, the things that have shaped us give us a logic story, a story that we can trace logically inside of ourselves that leads us to the conclusion that what we are expressing is true and right. Where I think things have gone sort of off the rails is, and I actually make the bold assertion in my book, I'm happy to dispute it because it's just a thesis at this point, but I really do believe that our educational model has caused us to be subject in a a dramatic way to the way the internet is structured and the way the algorithms are set up in social media. So if you think back to your typical public school or private school education, the model that we've been using is a information in testing out model. So there is someone with authority who's giving you data and information. It is your job to master that and then actually answer questions, either multiple choice, essay, true, false, that match whatever the teacher's authoritative take is on that subject. And we get graded accordingly. And we agree at the end, like if you take a multiple choice test, there's a right answer for each question. And it's the same right answer for every person in the classroom, no matter what their background or experience is. So we've been trained to believe that when presented with a question, there is a factual answer based on an authority that we can access under time pressure. And when we present it, everyone will agree. If you think about Facebook, that's literally the model. There are thumbs up, thumbs down, tiny little comment boxes. We're scrolling, which creates the illusion of time pressure. We feel like we have to respond to everything. And we arrive on the shores of the internet thinking, well, all I have to do is say the truth. If I say it, we'll all agree because that's the model we've been raised under. What we don't understand is that people bring their own sources of authority. So what's an authority for me is not the same authority for you. Some authorities gain their credibility through education background, through science, through degrees conferred. Others gain their credibility through experiences, personal trauma, tragedy, stories in their family. Others gain credibility through logic, just a presentation of facts, the way that they organize them and then draw a conclusion. And when we are all coming from these different backgrounds, religions, ideas, experiences, and authorities, it's no shock that we don't align easily. So the question that I ask, and this is the key in my view to critical thinking is, what's going on with you, the thinker? We tend to think critical thinking is about the other guy's ideas. Like, how can I shoot a hole in his ideas? Mm. But I suggest taking what I call an academic selfie. Flip the camera around on yourself and ask yourself questions like, when I'm reading this article, what do I hope will be true? What Mm. do I suspect is true about this writer? Why do I or don't I trust this writer to begin with? Those questions turn the floodlight on ourselves so that we can recognize bias as it starts kicking into gear. And we already recognize our relationship to the topic rather than just trying to dominate, convert, or master it. Yeah. I mean, wow, that's 
such a incredible practice to to do to try and implement I mean I don't know that many of us think that way right most of the time we're wanting to shoot holes in the other person's statements or belief system to try and do the converting the poking holes in their argument and so on what is the importance of academia in these types of conversations do you think really depends on what the conversation is about so sometimes you know, when we're talking about a specific domain that relies heavily on research-based criteria, like for example, with parents, video gaming is such a controversial topic. So do we rely on a longitudinal study by researchers who are actually evaluating the outcomes of how this affects children? Or do we rely on religious leaders who have a certain vision of life they're trying to create? Do we rely on parenting experts who are coming at it from a sort of psychosocial perspective? I think often people who cite, let's say, academics or people with those research credentials, they think they're winning the argument just by citing them. But if you've spent any time in academia, you will know right off the bat that PhDs are literally every day generating new insights into already studied paradigms. The goal of any dissertation is to find the one nuance, the one hidden idea, the one problem with the previous research. So any of these like islands of authority that we stand on at any moment can become flooded or overtaken by a volcano from someone else's island. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that whatever we cite, it's with humility. It comes from a perspective. This is what I know now with as much information as I have. When I'm talking to someone who doesn't respect my source of authority, I try to understand theirs. I often will say, tell me why your perspective feels important and authoritative to you. Share with me how the views you have create a vision that's beautiful, a life that would be worth living. And a lot of times that will tap you right into how they collect their data. Is it Mm -hmm. from a religious lens? Is it from a family lens? Is it from personal experience lens? Because once you know that, bringing academia may mean nothing to them. You You talk to a religious person and say, well, this PhD said this. They're like, but my religious text says this. Right. So what is one to do when you get that answer and it doesn't agree with your set of beliefs? I love that question. So let's ask a different question. Why do we care so much about being right in any given conversation? (sighs) (laughs) Rosie, what's your answer to that? Because we're addicted to being right. What is the addiction about? Usually, like if we think addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs, There's a certain pleasure principle at work there, but there's also something else at work there. What do you think it is in terms of being right? What does it provide us when we're right? I think it provides, well, I I think physiologically it provides that oxytocin type of response. Yep. Right? Yep. And I think that from a humanistic, spiritual perspective, it feeds the ego. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, those were those are my answers. Those are good answers. I like both of them. I think one of the ways to think about being right is that we have a beautiful vision of what it would feel like to be safe in the world. And so we're very attached to that. We want to stay connected to our communities. 
We want the experiences that we have that are important to us to be safe from harm or damage or being overturned or overtaken. We want other people to agree with us because we've been trained by all the models of living that we're used to, education, religion, politics, that the winners get to protect their way and the losers don't. Mm. And so we're attached to being right, partly out of survival. It's a feeling that our way of life, our belief system, our comfort, our safety will not be protected if I yield any ground to the person who doesn't agree with me. What's fascinating is when you do research into human dynamics, in fact, what strengthens communities isn't similarity. It actually is difference. And here's the reason why. Difference enables us to account for more experiences. When we go for being right, we keep narrowing the perspective and we keep excluding more and more experiences. And so two things happen when we do that. We either drive underground the person's differences because they're afraid they'll lose membership in this very valuable community, or we create people who leave and then just start their own groups based on this other concept instead of actually protecting and preserving the relationships first, including more perspectives and accounting for everyone in our solutions. So I like to start with the family because I think so much happens at home as a child. And whether you have children or not doesn't matter because we've all been children Mm -hmm. and we've all been raised by someone, whether it's our parents or we're in a foster care system, it doesn't matter. We are being raised by adults. And in the nuclear family or the home or wherever you grew up, the opportunity exists to be valued in your descent. If we do not create in our homes a space for dissent to be valued while keeping the strong connection with the person who's in charge of your life, you will never actually have true intimacy. All you have is alignment around ideas or you learning the propaganda that you parrot and you send your true beliefs underground. You drive them underground, you pretend, or you lose relationship. I mean, those are the only options. And when I'm talking about dissent, I don't just mean like big political ideas, like a child who says to their parent, I think video games are fine. I don't agree with you. That's a place to begin, to actually do the inquiry, to be curious. What about them do you think is wonderful? What are you afraid will happen if I limit your gameplay? What will you lose if you can't finish your turn? Why is a video game so much more interesting to you than Lego? and actually allow for this person's experience, the data they've gathered, their thoughts and ideas, the authorities they consider important, their peer group, to have a say, to be a part of the conversation. We spend so much time doubling down and using our authority as a sledgehammer instead of inviting connection. God, that's so good. I feel like I'm going to have so many notes after this podcast. I'm just learning so much. Um, And it makes so much sense. And they are just very simple concepts. How often do you wake up in the morning and instantly wish you had another hour of sleep and you hit the snooze button and hope that the next time your alarm goes off, you'll feel more energized? Is it me or does anybody else out there feel this way? We all have those mornings and the worst part is trying to turn your brain on to keep up with the demands of the day. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep or you have the brain fog or your energy is low. 
Imagine if you can control how you feel and being able to turn on your brain within 10 minutes of waking up without coffee or caffeine. Simply flick a switch and turn on your brain within 10 minutes of waking up in the morning and be totally engaged, focused, upbeat, and productive no matter what gets thrown at you. It's like the do not disturb feature for your brain. This is all thanks to my experience to Newtopia. Newtopia is the most advanced brain support and cognitive enhancement system that I've ever tried. And don't worry, nootropics have been around for a very long time. It's safe, natural, and non-addictive. And you can choose blends that don't have caffeine if you're caffeine sensitive. And unlike any other products, there are no crashes, no jitters, and no after effects. You simply turn your brain on within 10 minutes of waking up every morning and the effects stay consistent throughout your day. I highly recommend the Newtopia system for anybody looking to take their focus and mental game to the next level. Simply go to newtopia.com forward slash radically loved and enter the coupon code radically loved 10 to get 10% off. That's newtopia, N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A.com forward slash radically loved and use the promo code radically loved 10 for 10% off. Okay, we all know that Faraday makes the absolute best clothes, perfect for all seasons, very timeless. And if it was, if I was left to my own devices, I would literally just wear a unit all day long. And luckily Faraday makes it so easy and really has the best jumpsuit and rompers I can find. Faraday is a family-run brand making high-quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. It's the kind of effortless style you want every time you go digging in your closet. That perfect set, that shirt, that dress that feels like you've had for years. Maybe it's a gorgeous print or it just looks like it might be vintage, but it fits so well that it feels like it was just made yesterday. And right now, Faraday is giving all of our Radically Loved listeners 20% off. That's 20%. So head over to FaradayBrand.com and use the code LOVED at checkout to get your 20% off all your spring essentials. FaradayBrand.com. That's F-A-H-E-R-T-Y Brand.com. Use the code LOVED for 20% off. How have you been taking care of yourself lately? Whether it's taking longer baths or going on an evening stroll or indulging in a midday nap, pair your self-care ritual with calm and take your wellness to the next level. I know I've talked about it at length. The evening ritual is my favorite time of the day. It's my time to unwind and unravel the day and put an intention into what I want to feel the following day. Lately, I've been listening to Calm's imaginative sleep stories. What I love the most about the Calm app is that you can use it anytime, whether you're just wanting to listen to curated tracks to help you recharge your energy or listen to a meditation. Calm has it all. And maybe an evening routine is not what you're looking for. Maybe you're wanting something to do in the morning. They have everything. Reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations, improve focus with curated music tracks, and rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories for children and adults. If you go to calm.com forward slash loved, you'll get a special offer of 40% off of a Calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. So head over to calm.com forward slash love. That's C-A-L-M dot com forward slash L-O-V-E-D. That's calm.com forward slash loved for 40% off of unlimited access to Calm's entire library. 
Gaps in the diet shouldn't be ignored. Over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet, and 95% are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. I know that when I was a vegan, I had several gaps in my diet. There was so many vitamins that I knew I wasn't getting. I was also not in the habit of taking my vitamins every day. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 plus. It's formulated with nutrients that help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. Ritual is committed to third-party testing from USP and non-GMO project, traceable and vegan-friendly ingredients, and always clear communication, no shady stuff. Because nobody likes a shady company. So right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off of your first three months. Visit www.ritual.com forward slash loved and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at www.ritual.com forward slash loved. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. How are we meant to navigate God, I have such a love, not love relationship with social media. So it's really like- Understood, me too. You know? Oh yeah. It's like, I love it and then I don't love it, you know? And I know that it's part of our industry and and we have to, you know, do what we need to do. But at the same time, like, how do you maintain that same level of conscious awareness and openness in a time and place of cancel culture? I love this question so much. So one of the problems with cancel culture is that extreme need to be right. The belief that conversion is the only model available to us. And, you know, let's just look historically. Conversion led to the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, most of our wars, Nazi Germany, the belief that if you can't align with me, I need to extinguish you. That's what it means to want to be that right. So cancel culture is basically saying, there's no hope for us. The only way we get forward is if I eliminate opposition and I require you to toe this line. But as we know, you cannot cheat the dark gods. If you have an internal perspective that is just being submerged, it will come out in toxic ways that are damaging to everyone. I mean, you're a yoga instructor. You know this. This is, you know, yoga 101. So when we're in a social media space, I get triggered. I mean, I absolutely do. When I put something out there and somebody to me looks like they're willfully misunderstanding me or they're assigning me motives that I do not have, or they're telling me about me to my face, which is gaslighting, you know, what do they say? Gaslighting is telling lies about you to you. And those things feel miserable. What I've had to do and what I'm still every day learning to do happened to me yesterday is to pause. So when I am attacked, I actually want to resist the temptation to defend. I want to spend a moment with what was activated in me. Why do I feel defensive? What is it about that person's very stinging comment that feels maybe a little near to the truth or maybe is causing me to reevaluate something that I did or said? And then really determine if this person is coming from goodwill. Um, I lived for a long time with daily abuse. I was in an abusive relationship. And 
one of the things that I kept assuming is that we both had goodwill. People who abuse you do not have goodwill. They are doubling down on the oxytocin high mm-hmm. of being right at your expense. And so you have the right not to respond. You have the right to set a boundary in your response. Yesterday, somebody was third personing me on my own wall, telling motives about me to everybody else. And I said, you know what? Do not call me she. If you have a question, ask me directly, right? And then she got defensive. And I said, I've got other things to do today. I set the boundary. I moved on. I'm not going to engage. Occasionally, though, someone will challenge you. They get triggered. They make a statement that's hard to hear. And I try to start from the benefit of the doubt. I start with, well, that's an interesting perspective. Tell me more about why what you just said is meaningful to you. I start with wanting to get it because the alternative to getting it right is just getting it. You don't have to agree. You don't have to disagree. But can you get to the place where you understand why what they're saying matters to them? What's Mm -hmm. at stake for them? And if you can just allow that to ride sidecar and show fascination, that sort of takes away the sting of needing to protect yourself. Yeah, I feel like we underestimate that process as well, the work and the energy it takes to constantly be on the defensive. Oh, it's exhausting. Yeah, I I have a lot of author friends, influencer friends that deal with the onslaught of the comments or the, the, the brave, I call them brave thumbs. You know, people have brave thumbs. They'll, they'll say things online that they would never say to somebody's face. And I just, I always say this, I mean, people are more concerned with being right than being kind. And I think what you're saying is, is really the sort of definition of what that looks like in a, in a very practical and simple way. This is, this is the way that we can practice that inquiry and and be curious about other people's experiences and perspectives. That being said, I'm sure it's still a practice, right? You have to give yourself that moment to pause. Oh my gosh, for sure. And honestly, you know, there are some tools that I've learned actually from my community that have been valuable. Like I like the practice of calling people in instead of calling them out. Like, I think that's just beautiful language. Someone did that with us over a post that we made during, I think it was Juneteenth. They didn't like the post. They had a reason for it. We thought we were being really socially conscious. They thought that we weren't. But the way that the whole thing was framed, the woman said, Julia, I've followed you for a long time. I know your values. I want to make you aware of something I'm observing. I'd like to call you in. Well, I can hear that. We made changes. We apologize. We fixed the problem. When there is a a sense that you can make a difference in someone's life, it is through actually believing that they're goodwilled fundamentally. You start from that place. So if you're tempted to be the one to call someone else, call someone out or present a gotcha moment, just pause and ask yourself, is the motive for you to feel great about being seen as the one who knew what was right? Or is it to actually influence change? Because if we want to influence change, it comes through a relationship. And you won't have a relationship if you just burn the bridge and make the person feel terrible about themselves. Yeah. You know, we yeah. have we have a, a community called the Brave Learner Home, which is for parents who home educate and parents interested in participating in their children's education. We've had it for seven years, and we've never had to moderate comments because we tolerate dissent all the time. 
And we do it in such a way as to value the person's journey. So even though it was started for homeschoolers, we've got parents in there whose kids are now in public school, private school, decided homeschooling wasn't for them because we're not there. We're there for them. We're not there to have a pep rally around homeschooling. We're there to support parents in their educational choices. Sometimes I think we have to pull back and remember what is the value that this position is meant to represent? Yes. What is the value that this position is meant to represent? Oh, so good. (laughs) How are we supposed to discern whether somebody has goodwill or not? I think you take an inventory of how it hits your body. Mm -hmm. Personally, for me, that's kind of how I know. If I feel the gotcha moment, I kind of know they they have it in for me. But I'll be honest, it's not easy always to tell. And having lived with abuse for a long time, I was so about sincerely hearing the other person that I can get sucked in very quickly to believing. Because I, for a long time, the way I coped with bullying in my life was to believe that they may have had a point that I had missed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have that as a predisposition. A lot of other people deal with bullying by saying, well, screw that person. I'm not listening to what they have to say. But I always took it seriously. Like maybe, maybe they have a point. But if it keeps going and I feel less and less good, it's a clue to me now that the person wasn't interested in actual change. They were interested in domination. And I just can't have that in my life anymore. Yeah. And there's typically a pathology to that. Right, Mm. that you can recognize. I think I feel that checking in and observing that will give you insight into if you're questioning whether somebody has goodwill or not. Right, like the track record is the track record. I always say this like, Mm. I used to have this friend who it was definitely an asymmetrical relationship. I definitely was the doer of all of the things most of the time. And I found that with every single person in her life, there was a falling out at some point or another. Family, sisters, you know, like her best friend from childhood. There was always the fallout. Like there was always the issue. And I just somehow knowing that almost created this sort of desire to never be one of those people right? Oh, I totally get that. Yes. And in seeing that, I was always sort of watching the way that I would say certain things and just kind of treating her with kid gloves until one day I just realized inevitably the falling out happened, of course, over something extremely, well, I shouldn't say it's silly. It wasn't silly to her. So I don't want to gaslight that experience. It was what it was to her. To me, it was not. But I recognized, oh, this was bound to happen. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. When. Mm. Yes. So I, I like what you're saying because it just gives a little bit more of, I don't know, it, it makes me feel empowered and it makes me feel like I have a choice and like I can set a boundary with what you're saying. I love what you said about the track record being the track record too. This is another reason we need to be prioritizing the relationship over the content of ideas because part of what is happening here is we are losing valuable people, people we really love over needing to be in agreement. And if we prioritize the relationship first, 
And if both people do and both people need to, we can actually, it's not just coexistence, like tolerating, but we can tolerate our own discomfort. You know, I'm not like patting them on the head and tolerating them. I'm learning to tolerate the things that they believe or think that are different than mine. I'm learning to tolerate my own reactivity. I'm becoming a more grounded person by allowing this person to be a meaningful part of my life. And on my own staff in my company, Brave Writer, we have the full range of ideological views and voting patterns. And one of the things that we have done as a team that I feel really proud of is we see people as three-dimensional. That's not their only contribution. Their one view. They have ways of seeing that help us actually understand our wide customer base. They have ways of bringing correction to something that if I was just listening to the people who agreed, I would miss out on. A person who has a very different view can say, that marketing angle sounds really lousy to people like me, right? And so you start to actually create room for contribution, not just conversion. Yeah. I want to give an example. When I was young, I lived in Morocco, which is North Africa. It's a Muslim country. And then I was there to do Christian mission work of all things. So conversion on my mind. And that is kind of a bold thing to choose to do, right? Like you're going to come in at age 22 to another country and tell people they have the wrong religion. Like that's a pretty amazing amount of hubris. So anyway, I got there and my husband and I lived in an apartment. We didn't have kids yet across the street from a mosque. Five times a day, the mosque has a call to prayer. And so at dawn, morning, noon, afternoon, night, right? So five times a day, it's beautiful. It's melodic. I spoke Arabic, so I knew what the words meant. It was beautiful. And there was one day after months of listening to this, I'm like washing my vegetables in bleach in the sink. And I'm like, oh, the call to prayer. How cool that five times a day, I'm reminded to check in with my spirit, to not just sit here and what's the next task and what's the next thing I have to do. I'm like pausing. And I said to my husband later that day, so if they all convert, can we keep the call to prayer? Like, this is really amazing. Like a beautiful, by the way, I have very different views now, but that was then. Okay. Fast forward to 2021 in November, I was flying home from California to Ohio on a red eye. And I had just had an emotional crisis happen in my family. So I was in a state, just very big despair, anxiety. I get off the plane. It's five in the morning. I go to the taxi stand to get a ride home. And the taxi driver is Muslim. And as he's getting ready to get in the car, I'm looking in the rearview mirror and he has a bottle of water. And he starts pouring it on his hands. He washes his hands, pours it on his head, puts it in his mouth, uses his finger to wash it out, drinks a sip, spits it out, puts it on his face. And all of a sudden I have this like warm tingles just run through me. And I went, oh, he's getting ready to pray. This is the morning called a prayer. We don't have a muzain singing, but it's that time of day. And he gets in the car with me drives me for 45 minutes and under his breath the whole way, he is just speaking Arabic, praying to his God. And all I felt in this crisis I was in was comforted. I felt safe. I felt held. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's not so much about whether either of these faiths were, you know, objectively right. It's could I even be contributed to? 
mm-hmm. across the divide? Could I even be sensitive enough to understand what the meaningfulness is to this other person? And can I make room in my life for that meaningfulness to not feel alienating or upsetting, but just to hold space for it? So that for me is kind of where I'm driving. And I'm not saying that every view people have deserves empathy. I mean, sometimes when you get curious, you're more horrified. I mean, all the people who listen to true crime podcasts don't do it to get empathy. They're becoming more fascinated, right? With just how twisted a human mind can become and they want to understand it better. So for me, the antidote to this drive to be right is rather than getting it right, we want to just get it. We want to have enough space inside of ourselves to get what's going on. To have it land with us. Yes, that is the key is to have it land. I mean, that's that's the whole purpose behind it, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. I can talk to you all day, Julie. And (laughs) I feel like this is the first of many conversations together. And I want to, again, just express my gratitude for you coming on the show and and getting me your book. I'm so excited to um, just share this with the world. I do have one final question, but for people that are listening to this, where can they go for more information and to connect with you? So if you're interested in writing help for children, check out bravewriter.com. That's my company. And if you are interested in purchasing Raising Critical Thinkers, you can go to a website, raisingcriticalthinkers.com with all the book links. We do have a special free download that is for people who want to read this book in a book club so that you can facilitate conversation because these ideas do best when they're in a group so that you have that opportunity, right? To get to know your insides and their insides as well. (gasps) How fun. I love (laughs) this. Okay. I created this podcast to create a place for people to come to, to get inspired, to feel supported. The idea is that we are all radically loved by God, source, whatever Mm. your higher power, whatever your understanding is that the universe works for us and not against us. So the final question to you is, how do you feel radically loved? Oh my gosh. I literally got tears in my eyes just right when you said that. I think for me, I'm a big 12-stepper, so higher power is meaningful to me. I I think I was sitting with this notion because I had to go through a long deconstruction of my religious beliefs, and it was hard for me to hear the word God for a long time. And then one day I was doing some of my recovery work and I started thinking, well, what is the reason people have a higher power or source or God? What does that actually mean to all of us? And I realized it's, we all feel inadequate to fully grasp what we need to know to make it in life. And so God, higher power source is essentially insight. We all crave insight. And if I look at a through line of my life, that has been the chief hunger of my heart is to have insight. And so I feel radically loved when I feel connected to others through the mystery of insight. That hit home for me. I love that so much, Julie. Thank you so much. Wow. What a great way to complete this conversation. Everybody, thank you so much for being here If you enjoyed this podcast, please uh, remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to 
share this with a friend that you believe would find a value in this conversation. Always remember that you are radically loved and radically supported. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.